Log Talk Radio. in between. Live from Los Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow me on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. And also on Twitter. Uh, call, the call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744. And the Paranormal and the Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And during this show, I can take questions in order in chat. And you also can call in with your questions, speak with our awesome guest tonight. Any buzz killers in chat or on the phone will be uh, kicked out. And I have a copy of all your stuff, so I'll call you and bug you. So don't bug me and I won't bug you. So be polite and play nice. I just have a couple of announcements before we get our guest on here. Uh, Melinda Leslie has an amazing UFO tour in Sedona. And her phone number, I'm going to give it to you right away over there, is 928-282-2085 to book uh, your your Starlight Tours. And what they're doing is uh, she's giving you Generation 3 military night vision goggles. And you see 2,000 more times more light and more stars. Uh, than you do without. So they've had a few uh, interesting sightings out there. And they also are in Sedona, so you get your local vortexes. And and she's happy to share some of her own ET experiences and everything else. Anyway, it's supposed to be a fun tour. 75 bucks a person and for the first four, and the fifth person is free. So they have a lot of fun out there. And uh, I don't know how warm the nights are, but bring a jacket. Anyway, kids under 14 are free. And... um, the kids have a blast out there, and they learn about the constellations and the stars while they're at it. Anyway, if you need a support group, if you're an experiencer and need to support, and you want, or let's say you have a bunch of anxiety or PTSD or whatever. Anyway, Yvonne Smith is a renowned hypnotherapist who's worked with uh, experiencers and all different kinds of cases for the last 22 years. And there's also a support group. So if you need somebody that you want to go into therapy with and uh, have hypnosis regression, contact Yvonne Smith, and she's also director and uh, president of the Ciro International Group. And you go ahead and reach her at www.cerointernational.com. And then we have a Selenite workshop, learning about the healing power of the Selenite crystal. I hope I'm saying that right. It's a workshop with Marilyn Solace, uh, the beloved wife of Captain Robert Solace. Anyway, she's the creator of the Love's Blessing Mist. When? It's Friday, September 25th, 7 to 9. And she's saying that the selenite is one of the most important crystals to enhance meditation, promote healing in the body, mind, spirit, and emotion. The name selenite means, what? Well, it comes from ancient Greek word meaning selene, meaning moon, is uh, reputed to have increased mental clarity. If, I mean, uh, assist with decision-making, and as well as help tap into the intuition of psychic awareness. 
Anyway, she's giving these beautiful workshops, and she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. I love her very much. Marilyn will be sharing her 22-plus years' experience of energy healing experience, featuring her wisdom, knowledge, and the amazing healing crystal called Selenite. Emily Ware, Meditation Mount at 10340 Reeves Road, Ojai, California, 93023. The phone number over there is 805-646-5508. No charge for the event. Awesome. Open to the public. So her email is ohihealer at gmail.com or info at lovesblessing.com. And if you want to go ahead and go to her website, Marilyn's website is www.lovesblessing.com. And I do have just used up one bottle of this healing mist, and I have another one left, so I'll be ordering some soon because I love it. It smells sort of like soft incense, and she has like 26 different uh, essential oils and anything. Anyway, it's beautiful. She's a beautiful person, so go ahead. If you're near Ojai or want to go over to Ojai, go over there. Anyway, we just have an awesome guest tonight. Um, I'm so happy and grateful that she's on with us. And her guest is Marie D. Her name is Marie D. Jones. Marie is a best-selling author, screenwriter, researcher, and radio personality and public speaker. In a quote by Jim Mars, Marie Jones has joined the list of forward-thinking individuals who are taking us to the next level in both science and our understanding of the universe and our place in it. Anyway, she's also, uh, he, he's the author of, the, I guess, the uh, New York Best Time Seller Alien Agenda. Anyway, she's going to be talking about the latest discoveries in quantum physics, new science that may explain the existence of paranormal phenomena, sixes. I want to hear about this. UFOs, ghosts, poltergeists, mystery operations, time anomalies, psychic abilities such as ESP, telekinesis, and remote viewing. Anyway, so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, and I'm so excited about having her on, and she's on hold. And let me see. Marie, you're live with the Paranormal and Sacred. Well, hello there. Good to be here. Hi. Glad you're here. Uh, where are you <laughs> calling from? What's Where do you live, Marie? I'm in San Diego, California. Oh, cool. Yeah, because I was Way trying to, down, to recognize yeah, that. Southern California. <laughs> Way down yonder. But uh, how is it over there tonight? It's beautiful. Beautiful. It's going to be hot this weekend. Right now, it's nice. It's That's always nice. sunny here. Every now and then we get a little rain, but not much. <laughs> not much. It's beautiful down in San Diego. Yeah. It's and uh, especially if you're near, uh, you know, La Jolla is, I think, one of my second. Oh, well, yeah. You sent me my first favorite, and La Jolla is my second favorite place on earth. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's you're beautiful. lucky. Yeah, it's right very beautiful. Beach. Oh, that's you're lucky. It's nice. Okay, so... Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your background and for people that don't know about you, like where you were raised and, um, you know, what kind of influenced you as you were growing up to, uh, study along these lines? I'm not sure. Um, I just was, I've always been interested in, in UFOs and ghosts since I was really young and I've always read, I, I started reading at a really young age, I loved books, I loved to read, and I loved science. And so it seems like everything I read were either books about science or ghost stories or stories about going to Mars or, you know, the other planets. And as I got older and I started writing, I started writing when I was really young, it just was natural to 
want to write about the things that I was fascinated by. And my dad was a scientist, so I got a real good education in all of the different sciences. And I always felt like, you know, really the the paranormal was a part of science. It just was an unexplained part, but that someday we we would be able to explain it. Don't you so think that we're getting yeah, closer writing, also? We're getting closer to finding these. We're, don't you feel that we're getting closer uh, to these kind of answers? I hope so. <laughs> I always feel that way, and then it seems like it takes forever to, you know, for something really tangible to happen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think so many more people are into this stuff now because of the the media and the television shows, and there's just a ton of books out there movies, and it's really become a part of our popular culture. But in terms of scientific explanation, that takes a lot longer. And unfortunately, there aren't as many people, you know, working on that end of things. And a lot of scientists don't really get involved because they don't don't see, I guess they don't see the benefit of doing so. They might be personally interested in finding out the answers. Um, so I think, yeah, we're definitely getting closer, but we still have a long way to go. And I don't know. There's a part of me that sometimes feels like maybe we're not supposed to know, that maybe there are supposed to be some things in the world that remain a mystery. But I think we still want to know. <laughs> we still want to yeah. keep going. We'll keep looking. We'll keep looking. And you really yep, started running, yep. writing at a very young age. I did. Yeah, I started writing when I was four, three, four years old. And um, by the time I was a teenager, I was publishing. I was selling short stories uh, to science fiction. This was back in the day of magazines. So I was selling science fiction. I wrote a lot of horror stories. And I started writing screenplays. And throughout my 20s and 30s, I really was focusing on fiction and screenwriting. And then all of a sudden, I just up and decided to write a nonfiction book. I really don't know where that came from because I, you know, I wasn't really qualified to do so. But I did. And um, that book went nowhere, but it got me my agent, my nonfiction book agent, Lisa Hagen, who is still my agent. And, you know, still getting me book deals left and right. And it just kind of took off. Um, my first book was called Looking for God in All the Wrong Places, and it was just a fun sort of humor, humor-filled humor commentary on how, you know, everybody's always looking for happiness and success outside of themselves when it's on the inside. And then after that, when Lisa signed me, she said, what do you want to write? And I said, you know, I really want to, because this is what my dad and I had always been talking about. I said, I really want to write a book about quantum physics and the paranormal. And I just kind of remember her going, what? (laughs) Huh? And she said, well, you're not a physicist, so that might be tough. And you, you know, you don't have a platform, meaning that a lot of people know who I was. And, um, you know, she just believed in me and we pitched. And within three months, I had a deal for the book with New Page Books. So that was really cool. And then it just and, took and off that, from there. Was that your book uh, called Sci? That was Science. Yeah, I'm sorry. That yeah, was, yeah. Science. 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 Yes. 
silent P. <laughs> yeah, and then it just took off from there. And then um, I met Larry Flaxman via email. He lives in a completely different city. And um, we decided after my third book, I wrote a book with my dad called Super Volcano. He was a geophysicist. And then uh, I wrote 2013, End of Days or a New Beginning, about the 2012 Enigma. And then after that, Larry and I started working together, and our first book together was 1111, The Time Phenomenon. So it's just yeah. I have a lot of people interested in this, and everything you're talking about, I have a lot of people yeah. that are very interested, especially the double number thing. So that was a really interesting book, yeah. Because you know what, we didn't have a clue that there was that much going on. Um, it, it we our my publisher kind of came to us and said, you know, you might want to look into this, and we were like, huh, what, eleven eleven, and once we looked into it and realized how much there was to the to the story, it was amazing. And the book really just became about the sort of paranormal nature of numbers. So numbers and math you know, mathematics and mathematical ratios, they can get really kind of spooky. And they're very magical. So the book really kind of morphed into that and that that was our first book together. Uh, could you give us some examples? Of what you're talking well, about? Yeah, I mean, 1111 is one of the many time prompts that people see. I could call them number prompts because they don't even have to be a time. It could just be 1111 or 1212 or 666 or, you know, they're, they're very structured patterns of numbers that people see repeatedly, and 1111 happens to be one of the most popular. So what we what we found doing our research was that there were a lot of people who felt like it was just, you know, the brain has a tendency to create a pattern out of something. If it sees something once, it doesn't doesn't do much. If it sees something twice, it notes it as a coincidence. If it sees it more than twice, it notes it and it makes a neural, it sets sort of a neural pathway and from that point on, your brain will not only, uh, it'll start to seek that, that number pattern out. So it may have been there all along. You just weren't really noticing it because you really didn't care. So um, we wrote about that, but then we also found out that a lot of people felt like their time prompts, when they saw 1111 or what have you, that it meant something, that it was really important. And a lot of times they would talk about synchronicities or events that occurred in conjunction with, um, you know, having a time prompt. And we thought that was really kind of interesting because apparently what happens when you see 1111 or 333, your brain takes notice. And really what's happening is that you're in the present moment. You're not thinking about the past. You're not thinking about the future. Your brain has locked on to the present moment. Now, if anything's going to happen, you're going to notice it a lot more because you're in the present moment. So people would say, oh, you know, I, I saw, I see 11-11, and then sure enough, that day I'll have a bunch of synchronicities that occur or people that come along that, you know, I, I needed to meet or a book will fall out of the bookshelf that I needed to an answer in. And just really cool little coincidence. There were those two different explanations that we looked at. 
But then we started thinking, well, we need to get more into numbers. And really the truth is mathematics is the language of the universe. Um, everything in the universe, all of the different forces at, at play that create life, biological life forms, galaxies, planets, solar systems, um, it all comes down to numbers, to mathematical equations and ratios. So if numbers are the language of the universe, and that includes music because music comes down to numbers as well. So if that's the case, if a higher source, whether it's God or your higher self or some people think it's angels communicating, if they wanted to communicate with you, the best way they would do that is with numbers, things that everyone understands on a sort of symbolic subconscious level. And, you know, that was really fascinating to think about, wow, um, you know, everything can can be sort of summed up in a mathematical ratio. And then we kind of, you know, talk about how if there are alien civilizations out there and they're going to communicate with us, how would they do it? They're not going to speak Spanish or English or Chinese or French. They'll probably do it in a way they know that we'll understand based on our scientific knowledge of the universe, and that will be with mathematics. So it just really morphed into this book about what I like to call the paranormal nature of numbers and really are so fascinating. It is. It's so fascinating. And I also had actually sort of like a spiritual experience with this number thing because I never really, I thought, I always thought uh, not only was numerology interesting, but just the number, like you said, that runs the whole world, the world and universe, how it Mm -hmm. go out to equations and things like that. I didn't give it, well, uh, since I'm not good at math, I really never thought about it until I had yeah, done a training. Exactly. It was like a yeah, it was like a 40 hour training, and uh, I I you know how that that time when you're just falling asleep, you feel like you fell off a cliff or or something like that. Uh-huh. It took a couple <laughs> seconds. I was in that zone, yeah. and I had the following sort of little vision, and what it showed was my whole like a life review and what happened. And what happens is that, you know, how you get born and you learn how to walk and you get back up and there's energy that propels you forward towards your higher power and your destiny. There's a certain uh-huh. uh, energy that's, that's, that, you th- that you think. I thought before that also, before I saw this little vision, is that I always thought you wasted time. Like if you had a bad experience or you had a lot of losses, that was lost time. But in this little right. vision, none of it was. None of it was. It was all propelling right, all you towards matters. your creator. It all matters. Yeah, yeah. And then, That's okay, it. <laughs> so it was really awesome because at the end, it says when you end, where you go to is the apex. Now, that's what it said in the vision, apex. I had to look it up. And then you're, you, so you're one person going in, but you're many powerful uh, energy coming back out once you hit the apex. So you come oh. back out, and all of it was calculable. Like it right. had a number. And yeah, I never and knew that until that moment. That. Yeah, and I think numerology is a part of that. Um, and we did cover that, too, because, you know, ancient, ancient teachings look at numbers as meaning something. You know, each number has a meaning. And depending on what type of numerology, um, you know, you can sort of read somebody's fortune or their future 
by looking at the amount of, or the you know, like the master number that their name adds up to. And it's really fascinating because a lot of people think that numerology is just, you know, a bunch of BS. But the thing is, is that it's based on a lot of real ancient symbolism and knowledge of numbers. And maybe some numerologists today aren't really, you know, they don't really know what they're doing. But people that have really studied it, and I have a, a, a really good friend who really has studied it a lot. It, it really, there is like a, there's an art to it, but it, there's like a science to it as well. And it's just like astrology or palm reading or anything else that, you know, there these things don't start out as jokes. They start out as ways that people in the past discern the future or to read someone's um, fortune or what have you. And so they were very serious about it. And it was only like today in more modern times that we frown upon things like numerology. And we don't even give it a chance. So, you know, we wrote a little bit about that too. Because really, I mean, the the golden ratio and all of the magical measurements that were used that are talked about in the Bible or the building of the pyramids and Stonehenge and what have you. It's like our ancestors knew. They knew that numbers were magical and they had power and that they were important. And like you said, now today most of us just think of numbers as, oh my God, I don't want to balance my checkbook. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hate math. Oh God, I hated math. I still do. My son doesn't like it either. He took after me. But so you can still hate math, <laughs> but appreciate that everything around you comes down to a mathematical ratio. It's really cool. And what do they mean by the golden mean? Well, there are certain measurements that are considered sacred and, you know, our ancestors. Uh, like Leonardo da Vinci used it in a lot of his paintings. And it's it's sort of the perfect ratio of one body part to another in the human body, but also it's seen everywhere in nature, uh, the Fibonacci sequence. There are these wonderful ratios that make up things like the spiral of a seashell or the way that flower petals sort of spiral upward around the stalk or the number of um, petals on the face of the sunflower. So what it means is that everything in nature has number, you know, these numbers and measurements at its basis. And it's like whatever created us and the world around us created, uh, that it's, you know, people talk about intelligent, uh, you know, the, about God being the sort of intelligent form of consciousness. And I mean, you have to think of something created nature down to such precision. You know, there has to be some intelligent design behind it. Yeah. And, you know, the exquisiteness of, let's say, fractals, because uh, when uh, I. I, when I was a kid, I used to draw these repetitious uh, lines that they would right. be lines within lines and then copy them and everything else. And it was just a, uh, a soothing quality to it. So the first time that I actually saw a fractal, I recognized it. I went, boy, yeah. that's what I was yeah. thinking. And then you can see it when if you look at it in nature. 
you can see all of that in nature, the same repetition as the beautiful, exquisite lines and the repetition and the number. You know, it's there's a, there's a lot of certain numbers to it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our brains love patterns. And I remember yes, a, um, having that spirograph as a kid. I don't know if you yes, had that. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Okay. So wasn't that the coolest thing where you stuck your pen in the hole and then, you know, you just went around and it made this amazing geometric shape and it was really cool. And our brains just love that. It's beautiful. It's like we look at that and we see it, it's like art but it's really science because all you're doing is coming up with very structured, measured out patterns. And we really respond to that on such a deep level, even though we might not necessarily know what it means, but I think our subconscious does. Well, you you have some in your book uh, that's talking about 1111. You're talking about, um, uh, you're having fun with numbers, and it's really interesting the way you laid this out. That the certain numbers, you know, are, mean a certain thing. Is that like two is the only even prime, and three is the number of spatial or spatial dimensions that we live in, and four is the number of colors sufficient to color all planar maps. It's very interesting the way you've laid this out here for everybody. Well, I consulted with uh, my numerologist friend, and I think that there are different numerologists who might have different interpretations of the numbers. And then also you have, you know, sort of these um, secret societies like the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons, and they have very, very specific meanings for certain numbers, like the number three and 33 is very important to the Freemason. I remember yeah. being told that that three, and, and Larry and I wrote a book called The Trinity Secret because when we wrote 1111, we were like so fascinated by how many times the number three shows up. And so we, re- we wrote a whole book devoted to the number three because it really is, it's considered the perfect number. Um, and the triangle has been always considered the perfect, the perfect shape, the perfect geometric shape. And three is just, it's such a holy and sacred number to so many different religions and spiritual systems. And we recognize that, you know, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, creator, creating creation, and all these different um, groups of three, gods and goddesses that come in groups of three. And, you know, four, the interesting thing is the number four is really sacred to Native Americans because it represents the four winds, the four corners. And so it's really interesting how different spiritual systems um, revere different numbers and also different uh, ethnicities because the Chinese, to the Chinese, the number 666 is actually a blessed good luck number. And here, you know, and in America and in sort of the world of Christianity and Roman Catholicism, it's associated with the devil. So it just shows you how differently we, you know, people interpret numbers depending on where they're from or what their religious beliefs are. Right. Um, I'm just, you know, what I'm thinking about that is that, um, uh, 
one time a number four showed up in my dream, and I really, I think he just answered my lifelong question, is at one time it was just a number four written on a wall. Yeah. It was just yeah. a weird dream. Like, and you, out of nowhere. right, and, right. And, and what it was is what you're talking about. So, interesting. Well, you know what? And it's like sometimes you see things like that in a dream and you're, you know, what does this mean? What, and it's like your conscious truly yeah. believe your subconscious knows. And maybe later you'll get a message or you'll see something. You'll go, oh, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, it's like you got to pay attention. Um, yeah, because exactly. I see threes all the time, three, three, three. And when we wrote eleven, eleven, that was the case. I, you know, Larry and I were talking to each other, and I was like, do you see 1111? He said, no, do you? I said, no, I see 333, and I wake up at 333, and this, that, and the other thing. And then, you know, you become more aware of it. And, of course, some of that is because your brain is picking up on it. But you also, like, when I wake up at 333 now, I always just get really centered, and I just sort of open myself up to, all right, whatever is supposed to come into my mind, I'm open, you know, and maybe my conscious yeah. mind won't really know, but I'm going to, I'm going to assume <laughs> that whatever is speaking to me and woke me up at 3.33, it's going to go into the subconscious where it needs to be. And uh, some people are really lucky because they know immediately what I mean. And I think other people like me have to sort of assume that our subconscious gets it. Yes. Um, do you mind talking about quantum physics a little bit? Because I actually am very fascinated by uh, all the new studies they're doing and the new science on quantum physics. Uh, what are your findings? Well, this is a really tough one oh, because my dad, again, as a physicist, he, you know, he taught me a lot about physics, and I, I was always reading about physics, um, and. And you start to see links. You start to see interesting concepts and laws and theories that, you know, you think, oh, wow, I wonder if this could explain the behavior of a ghost or if this could explain how UFOs get here from other civilizations, you know, because we haven't figured out how to get to Mars cheaply and quickly and easily. So you start to look at some of the different laws of what happens at the subatomic level and you ask yourself if they can be um, extrapolated to the grander scale, the scale that we live in. So a lot of the things that I was reading about, and I started reading about quantum physics probably a good 20 years ago, and I started associating it with the paranormal oh gosh, maybe 15 years ago, because at first I was looking at it very metaphysically, like, oh, this is like really spiritual, you know, this could describe God. <laughs> and then yeah. I kind of started looking at things like, oh, you know, wow, could ghosts, so for example, let's say ghosts, because everybody loves that subject. Now, when you say paranormal, I think that's probably the first thing people think of. So, we we sort of always think of a ghost as being the essence or spirit of a dead person floating around, you know, in a cemetery or the hallway of a hospital or what have you on this level of reality. And when we start to look at things like quantum physics, we realize that this may not be the only reality 
this may not be the only dimension. This may not be the only universe or even timeline that we are able to access. Now, granted, this is the one that we exist in and have our consciousness embedded in, but I think every now and then we get little glimpses of other realities, other timelines, parallel universes, alternate dimensions, whatever you want to call it. It goes by lots of fancy names. But the idea being that, okay, so could a ghost maybe be a person who died in this reality but is still alive in another dimension, in a parallel universe, and we're just getting these little visible glimpses of them, and it's very erratic and it's not consistent. Could a ghost be someone, like when people report being ghosts that are dressed in, say, Victorian-era clothing? Well, maybe we're not seeing an imprinted memory in our reality. We might actually be seeing people who are alive in that time frame in another reality. And so then you start really, you know, thinking, wow, this opens the door to so many things. I mean, so in other words, now UFOs don't really have to be coming from another point in our universe. They could be coming from another point in another universe. And it just, you know, it, it snowballs. And that's what's really cool. Now, the problem is that we can't prove any of it. But it opens the door to new ways of looking at the paranormal that, in my opinion, in some cases, make a hell of a lot more sense than uh, the idea that a UFO comes from Mars. Now, we know that there's, you know, pretty much we know there's no life on Mars. And if there is, it's microbiological. But we don't know if there are wormholes out there in space by which something can come into our universe from another universe, from another timeline, from the past, from the present, from the future. So when you start to look at that bigger picture, it opens the door for, you know, all kinds of possibilities. I would never say that it does completely hand paranormal. That's not true. Um, but it definitely offers up some juicy new ideas that we can look at and maybe look for evidence of. And not be so narrow-minded that we always just think, oh, a ghost is this, or a UFO is this. I think there might be 10 different kinds of ghosts. You know, certainly there could be imprinted energy. You know, I mean, it's like, why are we Mm -hmm. so narrow-minded? UFOs, certainly they're they're coming from our universe. They could be coming from other universes. They could be coming from other dimensions. They could be coming from the past. They could be coming from the future. Why do we limit ourselves to one idea? And then we wonder why we can't find enough evidence to back it up. So we're ignoring the stuff in front of our face, too. Yes, You know, you may be experiencing it, but you're not going to tell anybody or, yeah. you know, <laughs> but guess what? We have all the filmmakers and writers like yourself that are actually uh, talking about it, explaining it, putting it on film. And uh, some of it's pretty fantastic. It's really, you know, you can really kind of go down the rabbit hole with it. Of but course, it like literally. my dad, okay, so, but, you know, my dad was a scientist. He was a brilliant geophysicist. And his background was also in astrophysics. And, you know, he 
he would talk about UFOs. He loved UFOs. He was obsessed with UFOs. He would talk about the paranormal all the time. And it was just really interesting to hear someone talk about it from the scientific standpoint. Because to them, it can be explained one day by scientific laws, but maybe not scientific laws uh, for our world. Um, you know, we think that the laws of our universe are all there is, but if there truly are other universes out there, and these, this, is, this is what physicists are telling us, that they think that's true, or they think that might be the case. Um, the laws in those universes don't necessarily have to obey the same laws that they do here. And that opens up mm-hmm. all kinds of possibilities. You know, and well, then actually what they don't. Is, they don't right, obey what's right. going on here. Yeah, that's why it's so frustrating when you have people running around with equipment that they get here that operates according to the laws of our world. <laughs> but sorry, they're not going to measure something that may be from another dimension entirely that operates on different laws. That's where things get really tricky. Hmm. It's, it's just really interesting what you're saying that when a uh, because I feel like there is all different states because uh, something so strange happened between me and my daughter and my grandson one time where my daughter, my grandson was having a nightmare and uh, my daughter walked into the room and my side of things, I was dreaming about him having a problem. So I went to his room and I was standing in it praying for him. So it was in my dream. So what she did from her point of view, she looked in on his room to see what was wrong with him. I saw what he was doing. He was taking one of those little wiffle bats, and he was—he had a bad. He used to dream about this machine dog, and it sounded just horrible, really. It scared me too. So he—he uh, would he was dreaming about that, and he was hitting the side of the bed with the the wiffle bat. And so when my oh. daughter opened the door, she said she saw me standing there. So I said, "Well, I saw the door light open, but I didn't see you." And then we started thinking. I said, "Well, what are the rules on this? Like, what is the rule for?" <laughs> If you do that, really, I, I was really asking her because I had never been taught uh, such a thing. That right, how, right. What is this rule? What's the rule for this one? You know, and I still yeah. don't know, but I guess if you love yeah, somebody exactly. enough, you're willing to go to any length to go help them, you know. But Yeah, exactly. We don't know anything. That's the, that's the truth. I think we like to think. We, we know that here's what we know. I mean, let's be honest here. <laughs> we know there's a bunch yeah. of crazy stuff going on and that millions yeah. of people throughout time have have experienced it. That's all right. I think that we really know for sure. And now I think the more evolved that we become scientifically and even spiritually too, because, I, you yeah. know, hundreds of years ago, I'm sure people thought ghosts and, were all evil demons, and that may not be the case. It's like the more we evolve, the more opportunities there are for us to figure out what what might be going on. And we may not figure it all out maybe in the next 10 years, but as we develop our technology too, we might eventually come up with some things that can really measure and quantify what's going on in a way that, you know, we don't have now. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, that we would, would. I think little by little we'll find out the answer. But because I'm not passed, I'm not dead, but yet my daughter saw me. So is there a a ghost or a projection of yourself? 
that can go in another parallel universe. Yeah. Think about deja vu too. Think about when you have deja vu and you have that that feeling of of being in two places at at once, but in the same consciousness. It's really hard to describe, but you have that feeling of being in two realities where you're experiencing the same exact thing for just that. 10 seconds or whatever, you know, five seconds, the duration of the deja vu experience. But it really does feel like you're sharing consciousness with these two different realities. So when if someone sees you and you're still alive, it could be the same concept. It's almost like physical deja vu, that they're seeing a glimpse of you in a parallel universe where you're doing, you know, you're, you're, the same person pretty much living in the same house, wearing the same clothes, but with uh, some differences. And, you know, physicists like to say that they, they love this concept of the multiverse and parallel universes and the idea that we may exist in an infinite number of them. And if that's the case, that means that in one of them, you are bound to be doing almost the exact same thing you're doing in this one. And I honestly think that's a great explanation for deja vu. That you really have been there. Yeah. That's what I tell people. Because when they say right. that, I said, I think you've been right. there. You saw yeah, it. You that. And that's why I think psychicness is. <laughs> yeah. You did that well, universe D or F. And the thing is, is yeah. that I don't think that we're meant to experience that stuff I don't all think the time. You take it because, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, if we could if we could experience the paranormal all the time, I think that it would probably make a lot of people crazy. I think Mm -hmm. it would probably be difficult for a lot of people to have a normal functioning life in just this one reality. So I think we have a sort of a built-in protection mechanism where we, our consciousness stays pretty focused on this one reality, but it allows for glimpses into all these other realities. Maybe just to keep us understanding that they are there. You know, I like to think that, that we're meant to see those little glimpses. Well, I think we get instructed every time it happens because, uh, you know, I have come up with a lot of uh, brilliant things only because I I thought I saw it. You know, but it really doesn't <laughs> exist yet. So right. I went around telling everybody, God, I saw this, whatever. And they say, uh, and it didn't show up till four months later, you know, or whatever. <laughs> it's happened to me over and over throughout my life. So it's very interesting. And, you know, if I could only put some of this cutting edge thinking, you know, to money, that would be cool. <laughs> I know, I know, really. But you know, really? Like if family like... dreamt up something, yeah. But that's, you know, the whole law of attraction thing is based on some of these principles because in quantum physics, nothing really exists in a physical sense. It's all vibration. Everything is energy vibrating, virtual particles that pop in and out of existence until somebody observes or measures the particles and then it fixes them into a physical form, physical place. So, if you want to take that a little bit further, it's like the law of attraction where we are creating our reality as we go along by observing it into a physical form. And so if that's the case, we should be able to observe wealth (laughs) 
good health, mm. you know, the perfect yeah. uh, romance or whatever. And so the concept is solid, but I think that there's an awful lot more to it than just that basic concept. Um, but it is funny because the truth is, you know, even the chair that you're sitting on or the uh, computer that you're working on or the desk that you're leaning your elbows on that feels solid, it's not. It's nothing but a mass of vibrating particles with a lot of space in between them. Um, and so if you could see it down at the subatomic level, you'd be shocked that, oh, my God, I'm sitting in this chair and it's holding me up, but it's not solid. And and if that, you know, that it becomes a chair when we sort of observe it into being a chair. And it, that gets really mind-blowing. Like, oh, well, can I observe other things into my reality that don't exist yet just by believing them or perceiving them? Or, you know, that's where it gets kind of tricky is how do we exactly. observe new things. Yeah. And also, you know, it's like perception. You perceive life a certain way, and then somebody comes along and says, no, no, look at it this way. And then once you do, you never can go back to that old perception. It's like your whole world has been opened up to a new perception. And um, that's what's really cool is that you could look at, you could look at a brick wall for an hour. So say, look at that. Do you see that pattern there? Doesn't it look like a, you know, a Mercedes? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, it does. And now every time you look at that brick wall, you see the Mercedes in the pattern. You didn't see it before until somebody pointed out to you. Now you can't yes. not see it. Your whole perception right. has changed. So there may be ghosts floating around both of us right now. <laughs> and yeah. we just haven't tweaked our perception to see them. You know, until somebody or something yes. comes along and tweaks it for us. I know. Well, that's that's kind of a creepy ghosts. thought. <laughs> it is a creepy thought. My son sees ghosts, but I I do not want to. What I have seen that turned out to be ghosts looked real to me. It wasn't like a ghost. Yeah. It looked more solid. So more solid, what I was yeah, going like to ask you, hey, did you see that? Did you see that movie Solaris? Do you remember that movie with uh, Solara? Solaris? No. With George Clooney. No. Well, uh-huh. I went, well, I went on this date and uh, the guy fell asleep. And I was watching this movie. <laughs> and what happened was, <laughs> yeah, it must have been pretty boring. It was like, okay, so what happened was he was out in space and people kept disappearing and reappearing. But it wasn't really them. It was like interdimensional beings. The closer they got to the planet Solaris, the more this weird uh, duplicity and duplication of beings was happening. So they sent uh-huh. George Clooney up there to save the day, right? So his hassle was he saw his wife. And in life back on the planet Earth, she had killed herself. But yet when when she he was up on the ship, uh, she when he woke up, she was standing there because he she was in his subconscious. So he freaked yeah. out and sent her away. And then he, uh, he, he freaked out. He sent her away. He put her like in a capsule and sent her away. So he, like, killed her again. It was freaky. Anyway, she came back again. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so so this is – I'm trying to get to the, the – so it was so intense because, to me, this is uh, George Clooney's, like, best work, but nobody knows about it. 
So anyway, um, I know it was intense because at the end, he says to her, will you forgive me? Because she came back and now they're together. You know what I mean? And they stayed together. And she and he she said that it doesn't matter anymore. It's not like that anymore. You know that huh. we don't have to grieve. Right. We don't have to do anything. It's all different now. And I just thought there's hope. You know oh my gosh, I just haven't heard of that movie. I'm, I'm saying it's so intense. You've got to watch. Call S O L E R I S George Clooney and that beautiful Scottish actress. But uh, I, I can't remember her name. But uh, she was in. Uh, Oh, Californication. The, the, I don't know if you ever seen. You're supposed to say no. I've never seen oh, that in my the, life. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, the X Files guy. Anyway, but there's a beautiful girl. There's that's the same girl. Anyway, so I only advise it. Wow, so anyway, I'll have to look for it. Yeah, it's a trip. <laughs> it gave me hope because on cable or something. Yeah, because the, the intricacy of what we're talking about actually gave me hope, spiritual hope. You know, that all is not lost, yeah. even though you've lost everything, because you're gaining a whole new reality. That's what I'm saying. Huh. I do not know who yeah. wrote that movie. Mm. But anyway, yeah, so in your like book, and it is a mm. new perception, exactly what you were talking about. And uh, there's a couple of things you also talk about. So what do you think that uh, the poltergeist activity is? Like the stuff well, that's that things around your house. That seems a little bit different. There's been some really great research done on the association with the brain and the human host or the human agent that is driving the activity. And what's really interesting about poltergeist, very, you know, a lot of people confuse poltergeist activity with ghosts, and they're completely different things. Poltergeist activity is sort of the physical manifestations of something that's happening within the brain of the human agent. Usually it's a teenage girl because it has a lot to do with hormones and hormonal changes and the um, the energy that that creates and the external environment. So what appears to be happening is the same part of the brain that activates during a grand mal seizure uh, or the epileptic grand mal seizure is the part of the brain that is active during a poltergeist experience in the human agent. So the teenage girl um, frontal cortex and, oh God, what's the name of it? I just spaced out. Temporal lobe. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) That part of the brain becomes active during poltergeist phenomenon, which is really interesting because, again, that's also the same part of the brain that lights up like a firecracker during a deja vu experience. So those three are very related to each other. Poltergeist activity, deja vu, and epileptic grand mal seizures. And it's fascinating to understand that. And Larry and I wrote a book called The Grid, um, Exploring the Hidden Infrastructure of Reality. And the reason why we wrote that book is because we wanted to document, if we could, the internal, physiological, and the external environmental factors that might be going on to create a paranormal event, whether it's a ghost, a UFO sighting, cryptid, you name it. 
And what we found was interesting is that there are parts of the brain that seem to be much more involved with this stuff happening. And they're also the same part of the brain that, like I said, are involved in the experience of deja vu or an epileptic seizure. Now, epileptic grand mal seizures, uh, people often report seeing an aura, like a, yeah. you know, a very strange aura of light. And it, it's just, and, and if you know anything about Michael Persinger the, uh, and the God Helmet, which um, he created, she was a, a neuroscientist who studied the brain. He's still alive. I shouldn't talk about him in the past. But anyway, he created this helmet that could uh, send little electrical pulses in to the temporal lobe you know, different parts of the brain and see what happened. And he has this thing called the God helmet that when the electrical charge goes to the, temp- the frontal lobe, the temporal lobe, people have deja vu experiences. Um, people have rap, like almost like religious rapture. Um, people report the, the sensing shadow figures. They report other entities or figures in the room, the sense of being watched. So all of this sort of weird paranormal stuff that happens when that part of the brain is, is stimulated. And it's really interesting to think that maybe the paranormal involves us, the experiencers, a lot more than we ever thought before. In fact, maybe we are critical because without us, doesn't have anything to manifest through. Wow, what a concept. I think uh, well, that'll think about, help people have more know, acceptance because people are rejecting a lot of these experiences. I, I wasn't really talking about it until three years ago. I, I've been going yeah. to sport groups for 20 years, but not, I didn't go public till like three years ago. All right. Think about the number one, the common denominator in every single ghost sighting, apparition, UFO, whatever. It's, it's a person. It's an observer. Let's go back to quantum physics. The observer effect the, the yeah. presence and influence of an observer in a quantum experiment, the observer can change the outcome of the behavior of the subatomic particle just by measuring it, just by observing it. We, or and the observer doesn't even have to be human. It can be a dog. It can be a camera because the camera measures and records presence. In order for there to be any paranormal, my question to people is, can a haunted house be haunted if there's nobody there to see the haunting, to observe the haunting? And if you ask quantum physicists, they will tell you no. It is absolutely impossible. That that house is not haunted until an observer steps in to measure and record the, the activity. Before that happens, oh, that's a big one. that house, yeah, that house is just a sea of possibility and potentiality. And just like at the quantum level, there's nothing solid. It's all a sea of potentiality. It's, it's virtual particles popping up and down in and out of existence until something comes along and observes it into a fixed place or position. So if you're standing outside of a haunted house, or let's say you're a mile away, you cannot, you absolutely cannot prove that there's haunted activity in that house until you or somebody else 
can get close enough to make that observation. And when you think about that, that is so fascinating because that means we are a huge part of this equation. It's not just happening outside of us. It's happening in conjunction with our presence, our perception, and our observation. And that's, so you know, that's fits, like really mind-blowing. Yeah, it's it's yeah. mind-blowing, and this fits right in with the, the series of non-locality and the entanglement theory. Exactly. You know, exactly. and how that explains psychic ability and, you know, mind over matter and things like yeah, that, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that there is this field, or we Larry and I call it the grid, it's like the zero-point field, but there's this field of potentiality where at the subatomic level, every possibility exists, past, present, and future. And in that field, anything can come out of it if it is if the act of observation happens. You know, so if you're psychic or if you're a remote viewer, you're actually observing something in the field that allows you to see into the past or into the future. That that information is there. It's accessible to anybody. But I don't think everybody has the skill to see into that field. You know, I think anybody could remote view, but not everybody yeah. can do it really well. It certainly has to be a dormant talent for every human. Um, but just like singing, you know, everybody can sing, but not a whole lot of people can sing well. So, and that's where the that's whole physics thing really gets interesting. You know, when you think about, oh, okay, well, maybe that is far out and wacky. Okay, so we have a comment from uh, our gallery here, and they're saying is, okay, if a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, did it make a sound? Probably not, because you have to have something to hear those sound waves. Otherwise, they're they're just, there's nothing, Right. The only so way we hear sound, the only way sound exists is someone has to hear it. The trees don't hear it. I mean, we don't know. Maybe they have, maybe they have some sense of hearing or some ability to to perceive sound waves. But, and I'm not saying that I'm saying this. This is what quantum physics is about. That without yeah. An observer. And, and again, the observer only has to be an object of measurement. So if you stuck a digital tape recorder out in the woods, that is an observer. And then you would hear the sound on the recorder. But if there's yeah. nothing out there, what are you going to hear? You know, there's there's nothing to perceive the sound wave. And so we don't, and the only way we could ever prove that would be to introduce an observer, and then that ruins the experiment. And, exactly, and here's another really we fascinating thing. What we're watching. Well, you know, the second you introduce an observer, you have nullified your attempt to see us since when there's no observer around. <laughs> so we're kind of screwed okay. that we can't prove that. You know, another way to look at it is at the quantum level, nothing exists outside your window. Like if you close the blinds or your drapes or your shutters or whatever, the concept is outside of there, it's just a sea of virtual particles. 
until you open the blind. And it, this happens instantaneously. You can't, like, open them really fast and catch this in the eye. This is just something that happens with the brain instantaneously. You open your blinds, you see what you expect to see. You see something outside, you know, nature, your neighbor's wall, what have you. But at the quantum level, without an observer present, it's just a sea of potentiality. And when you think about that, that's really kind of creepy. It means that nothing exists outside of your range of of observation until you observe it. And then there's another part of that. What about if you... I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either because what if you... Okay, so you also are saying then that another degree of this is that we have to agree on the observation. We do. We have a collective understanding of reality. Yeah. And I think that starts in early childhood. Um, But at the same time, if you go to some remote Amazon village, you know, where they've never seen a ladder, they're not going to know what that is. To them, it could be a a beast, a demon, a monster, uh, a car. I mean, they're they're not going to be able to identify. They have not bought into the collective understanding that we have. Now, my belief is that there are two different realities going on. There's the collective that we all buy into, part of being human, and there is the individual reality, which is different for everyone. See the color blue a little bit differently than you. I might perceive something a little bit differently than you do because of the shape of my cornea or the way my brain works or what have you. And also, if you think about beliefs and how beliefs shape our perception and our understanding of reality, I can look at a picture of a, you know, really cool picture of a witch flying through the sky and think, oh, that is so cool. Somebody who grows up a religious fundamentalist thinks that it's pure evil. So that's where things like belief step in and shape our perceptions and our individual realities. But you know, it's just so fascinating, and it's such a deep rabbit hole to go down. I don't know how the heck these people figure out these <laughs> cons. You know, it's like, first of all, to even know what goes on at the subatomic level requires such intricate, you know, microscopes and and measurement devices. And But the people that do and know what they're doing, uh, it, they just say that it is far more bizarre than the paranormal the way that particles behave. It's it's creepier well, yes. than the paranormal. Yeah. Well it's creepier because it's unknown and the uh the actions are we actually don't have words for it because it's so odd. Yeah. We actually right. can't name it because Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so maybe you feel like years talking now we will. We will. And just right now we just don't have the verbal uh Right words to say about what that is, because we can sense what it is, and uh, once in a while I've seen what it is, but I don't have words for what it is because it doesn't uh, have the same rules as we have here. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I don't have that math to in my brain to uh, be able to study like this. So all I can do is uh, surmise by what I sense. And if you think about uh, history and our and our primitive and ancient ancestors who didn't have our scientific understanding and we're trying 
to explain nature and the world around them to us, that's where we got mythology. And that's where we got the stories in the Bible and the Quran and the Torah. Those stories of Noah's Ark and, you know, the gods and goddesses and the Vulcan under the volcano, those stories were their very limited way of describing their understanding of science and nature. And now, you know, thousands of years later, we have a little more understanding, but so you can imagine, you know, a thousand years from now, how much more there will be that's understood and, and verbalized, too. Well, exactly. That's uh, like some of the stories from the Native American uh, culture. Uh, the one I was just reading is where... Uh, I think it was the 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 white painted white faced lady gave birth to the kids, and then a monster came and wanted to eat her children. I was thinking, okay, what's behind all this? You know, right. what are what are they really talking about? So it is mentioned. They're talking about something that actually happened or that somebody perceived. That's what I think. But it sounds odd yeah, to us hard. because we don't have a frame right. of reference. Exactly, we have to go back to their level of understanding and try to figure out, okay, wow, they didn't understand much. So, you know, it, it's, we have to sort of try to figure out what they what they meant when they were talking about these wild things that happened. And, yeah, they were describing real events. They just didn't have the scientific acumen that we have to be able to describe it. So what are, I wanted to ask you about remote viewing. So what do you think is going on there? With what? It's one at remote viewing. It's one of my favorite topics. Oh, remote viewing. I mean, you know, and I what, think what, that remote what's viewing... What's the mechanism? It's, I honestly think that we are, oh, whoever does it, because I've done it before, and I'm not too yes. bad at it. Um, I think it's a very natural ability for us to tap into that field. Uh, where there's no time, linear time, past, present, and future. There's no limitation of the brain. There's no spatial limitation. There's no temporal limitation. So by tapping into, and if you want to call it the collective consciousness, whatever, you know, call it whatever name you like. But there is this field of information that we all have access to, and I think that's where intuition comes from. That's where gut instinct comes from. That's where ideas and inspiration come from. You know, us writers know where that comes from. We don't think of these ideas. They come to us from this sea of of activity. And so with remote viewing, basically what someone is doing is they're rising above. They're they're rising above the limitations of their brain to to get a perception of non-linear and non-spatial events or activity going on somewhere else, right? So it could be 500 miles away. It could be, um, you know, in the next country. And they're literally tapping into, I think, the very same field of information that psychics and anybody who does tarot readings or what have you, that they're tapping into. And it's not silly and spooky. It's not new age woohoo. It has no. a scientific basis. And, you know, we all get gut in or intuitive 
messages like, oh, I should not drive down the street. I, I just, I know I shouldn't. And then you find out an hour later that somebody got shot on that street. The people that said that they just knew, you know, on those planes and, you know, on 9-11. Yeah. And exactly. I think that we all have that ability, but most of us swallow it down or ignore it or, you know, just some people are more finely tuned than others, but that's what it is. You're tapping into a field of information that has no limitations. Our brain limits us, but outside of the brain where consciousness exists, there is no limitation in time or space. No. And our fear limits us. You know, it's like skating toward the edge on that ice. Is that ice thick enough? Is it going to hold us? Can we go out there? Can we go see what's over there? You know? Right. Sometimes you get a stage, right. you're going to fall in. You know, and some of this is, uh, it's, uh, I, to me, if we just study and understand and try to keep an open mind to these concepts, and the, I think it's here, we have this more now than ever, and I think it's here to, for us to learn. It's time to learn this, because pretty soon we're going to be doing, not just going to the moon, just not going to Mars, we're going to actually be uh, travelers, you know, in a certain sense, yeah. you know. Uh, Maybe we already you know, are. You know? Yeah, we are now. We're actually traveling and we're yeah. staying out there a long time. But even out of this whole solar system, we don't because we do talk about you know the uh, uh, wormholes and uh, right. you know that we can actually travel across time through a wormhole. Now, I guess there is there a proof they exist or there's no proof. There's no evidence, but it is a very well-accepted and embraced concept because sometimes you can't, and it was this way with black holes for a long time. There was a a long period of time where we couldn't find evidence of a black hole. We found evidence of things around it that behaved in a way that suggested there was a black hole. It was only fairly recently that we we were able to identify, oh, there's one, finally. And I think it's the same with wormholes. You know, they're not going to, you're not going to, like, get a high-powered microscope and actually see it, but you're going to see the influences of it, the way that space-time is bent a certain way or there's, you know, a certain um, a change in the appearance of the fabric of space and time that might curve a certain way and then the behavior of objects around it. Um, but the interesting thing is like, you know, talking about things like time travel and we may not necessarily be doing it physically, although some people in the conspiracy world say we are, but certainly I think we do it with consciousness and we do it all the time. And I think we go to other realities with consciousness. And people that uh, do out-of-body, astral project, people have lucid dreams. I mean, even dreams themselves, I think, are experiences of another reality. And, you know, a lot of times your dreams really do feel like you are present in in an actual physical place. Your brain and your body respond in the exact same way they do to this reality. You have the exact same physical responses. So maybe we're already doing all this stuff that we're talking about in a consciousness sense, stubborn humans that we are, we want to do it 
physically, and we want physical proof, and we want to see it. You know what I mean? Yes. Time travel, that's not enough. We want to do it in a little spaceship. Well, that may be way further down the line, but I think right now certainly enough people are doing things like this all the time. When you go to sleep tonight, you know, you're you're going to be traveling somewhere. And we just don't accept it because it's not happening in a purely physical sense. Yeah, we didn't have to buy a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. But we are going, nonetheless. So what about your, okay, so your newest book is called Mind Wars, A History of the Mind Control and Surveillance. Now, that's fascinating. That's a, yeah, that's a whole different, that's it's a whole different thing. Probably, yeah, it's a whole different thing. And just, you know, uh, Larry and I had always been fascinated by the, our history with mind control and, you know, how it's influenced pop culture, movies and, and novels and TV shows. And also the fact that we're now under total constant surveillance and how technology has become so intrusive into our privacy. And it is a way to manipulate us, keep us behaving a certain way, um, keep us addicted and, and consuming and buying. And so we went into the writing of that book wanting to be totally objective. We're not big conspiracy buffs. Um, we certainly think that where there's smoke, there's probably fire. And, you know, you really start to see how our history is, uh, it, it, there is so much part of our history where there is proof that this stuff happened. Um, certainly in the 1950s through the 1970s, we had Project MKUltra. This was a massive uh, uh, undertaking that was eventually taken over by the CIA. And it's fully documented. It has been, um, you know, fully accepted as a part of our history. And I doubt it. It's in our culture. It, ended. it is. It's part of our culture. Uh, it was a time when we literally took the brainwashing techniques that were taught to us, you know, by the Nazis who came over after World War II as part of what's called Operation Paperclip, another very dark black mark on American history. Um, and we used them to research ways of manipulating and altering the behavior, thought, actions, and personalities of human beings. And so it allegedly ended in the 1970s, but I think knowing our government, the way it works, it, it probably never ended. So it probably broke up into a lot of smaller splinter programs that went even deeper black and are, you know, continuing to this day. And I've talked to people that worked in the prison system and said, oh, you know, prisoners are always being experimented on willingly and unwillingly and in orphanages and mental institutions, and it's kind of sad, but part of our history. And then looking ahead into the future, when you think about how we are becoming slaves to technology, you know, whoever controls the technology, used to be whoever controls the media, controls the population. Well, now (laughs) it could really become whoever controls the technology. Um, they control so many of us. And 
we're influenced by it. We believe a lot of what it tells us. We don't even second guess it or question it. So that book was really scary to write, but it was also yes. a really good way to wake up, become aware of what's going on around you so that you can take whatever actions you can. I mean, there are some little things you can do to protect your cell phone, not much, because if they want to track you, they will. But it's just fascinating. And and a lot of it is not the government. A lot of it is corporations that have a vested financial interest in knowing what you're doing and trying to some way influence and control it. The mentoring candidate, uh, so to speak, like that movie and that uh, whole thing. The, mm-hmm. the old movie scared me and the newest one I've watched so many oh, times I know. Yeah. because there's such a sense of truth to it. And that oh, actor yeah. leave, yeah. uh, what's his name? Anyway, he's just so good in that and it's very painful for me to watch yeah. because I and do know there's a grand truth to all of it. Yeah. Yes. Denzel Washington. And leave, uh, what's his last name? Anyway, tall, good looking. Oh, oh, God. I can see his face. And Meryl Street. He's got that weird, creepy kind of sinister look yeah. to him. He was the, the, yeah. the, and Meryl Street was the evil mother, evil mother. behind it all. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it was on a couple of weeks ago, and I've seen it a million times. And I've seen the old one, too, with Frank Sinatra. But I watched yeah, it again, too. and every time I watch it, I catch new things, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, my God. It really was. Uh, and that's what I love about entertainment. And people, a lot of people hate the entertainment industry. Well, I don't. I well, like I it don't. because it does oftentimes allow truths to to get out in the context of a story. There's a lot about the, that movie that is dead on true according to the documents that were covered uh, about MK Ultra. It's very true. Now, of course, you know it's a story. But a lot of that stuff really did happen. And it's scary. It's And um, another good one is Conspiracy Theory with Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts. Yeah. And I, I've yeah, never I love seen that it one. Before. That's all technology. Yeah. yeah I've seen it before. He is an MKUltra survivor. He's starting to remember things. And so they're coming after him to silence him and kill him. And his altered personalities are, are starting to come up and... Julia Roberts doesn't believe him, and then she finds proof that he's telling the truth. And it's it's really creepy, mind-bending stuff, especially when you realize, oh, that's, that's actually part of our history. Wow. <laughs> it's real. And, which, okay, I'm going to read a little bit. Um, you're talking about psychologist and author George K. Steinman. In Sheep's Clothing, Understanding and Dealing with the Manipulative People, wrote that to successfully manipulate another human being, a controller or abuser, would have to, one, conceal his aggressive agenda and intentions, and two, know the psychological vulnerabilities of the intended victim and modify the tactics accordingly. Then you go on to three, be ruthless enough not to care if the victim is harmed, and four, to use covert aggression in the form of relational or passive-aggressive tactics. I mean, that's so right on, you know, because I find it cruel and abusive even if it's oh, under uh, CIA direction or whatever we're talking about. But, you know, I find this happens along with possible abuse and, and abuse in many ways. And people, you know, spot somebody that, uh, you know, is more passive and wants to go along, 
you know, and then they abuse that vulnerability. But if you stay, even if you're not an aggressor, there's a way to sidestep people like that. You know what I mean? You kind of throw it back in their lap. You know, there is a technique to deal with them. And we talk a lot about cults and also narcissistic personality disorders, psychopathy and sociopathy, because those same techniques that were used in MKUltra are used by sociopaths. They're used by narcissists. They're used by psychopaths to, you know, destroy, literally destroy the psyche of the victim. They're used in cults by cult leaders who want to weaken the personalities of their cult members to keep them, you know, in line so that they don't leave the cult and they do everything that they're told. And it's just so spooky that the same, you know, kinds of coercive persuasion and, and intermittent reinforcement and, capture bonding and, you know, even ritual abuse and sexual and physical abuse, deprivation, all of that stuff, the use of drugs, uh, even hypnosis. It's all a part of the set of tools that are used to control somebody, whether you want to control their thoughts, their actions and behaviors, their beliefs, or you want to, you know, torture them into the behavior that you want. The the tools are all the same. And they're the same as our ancestors used, you know, during the Middle Ages and the Inquisitions and, you know, the witch burnings, the idea that you could use fear and torture techniques to get somebody to stop or change their behavior or even to punish them. You know, it, it goes way back. I think it's just a part of human nature. It's like we have to control other people and... Sometimes people get really carried away with it, and that's where you have psychopaths that stalk women and, you know, you have domestic violence and abuse. It's all in the same corral, you know? Yeah, well, all it is, the, because the it's, the same. it's people that want something, but they, get, they want more than they earn. You know what I'm right. saying? They're, they want something, but they want more of it. Let's put it that way. Right. So it's a want yeah. on and their so desire yeah. to have control and undo you control over another person for whatever their agenda is. Yeah. And they'll stop at nothing sometimes to get it. And they'll even kill. I mean, you know, that's a lot of people don't understand about stalkers is sometimes they're not just satisfied with controlling somebody they want. And and I think with, you know, doing research on subjects under the CIA where you're doing it at a university research center, it doesn't matter the location or who's doing it because the techniques yeah. are the same. And they're wrong and they're unethical and, you know, they're it's just sort of the sick aspect of human behavior that we would do that to other people just to get them to come around to what we want. And it's always that they want more. You know, it was, yeah. if, if it was a person that's satisfied, but they're not, that somehow they want more. And I think yeah, that goes all the way to the top. What, what do they use this for except they want more, more power? It's always right. about the same thing. Right. It's not just what you need. It's more than you need. You know, and yeah. it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a scary proposition, but I keep watching the same thing over and over to get it in my head because you can easily 
turn your back on it and say, well, it doesn't really exist. It's not really that bad. It's not, but but it really is bad. That's why it's really, I believe yeah. that we do have to be independent. I believe in healthy interdependency, but we do have to be independent and stand our own two feet. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a good way of putting yeah. it because, but, you know, the truth is ahead. if you watch the, the news, you're being brainwashed. So little of the news nowadays is news. It's opinion, it's spin, it's sponsored news, which means somebody paid for the advertising and therefore paid for the spin that was to be put on some of the stories that are being reported. One of the best ways to watch this in action is to watch TV at any given time and see how many of a certain type of uh, commercials there are. There are some programs that have 20 auto commercials. So you know the auto industry put their spin. Most of the times it's pharmaceutical companies. And there are some shows that have, you know, maybe they break six times for a commercial within the length of an hour show. And every single commercial break has a pharmaceutical that they're trying to sell you. What you might notice is that during the news, you will hear pro-pharmaceutical stories far more often than you will hear a story about how, oh, my God, these people took this medication and now it's being recalled because 20 people died. You know, you will hear far more pro-oil industry, auto industry news stories than you will hear um, against. And that is because we are getting what's called sponsored news. If you use Yahoo as your homepage on the Internet, you'll Mm -hmm. notice some of the news stories say sponsored underneath. Literally, those news stories are bought and paid for, which means you're not getting true facts. You're getting spin. And people don't realize the level that this has gotten to where I watch the news sometimes And the only thing that might be accurate are the sports scores. The rest of it is somebody's opinion, including the newscasters. The stories that that they're reporting are written a certain angle, and it can be, you know, liberal, conservative, whatever. Um, It's insane. We no longer have quality journalism, certainly not in this country, which is why a lot of people go, to more foreign news sources to get their their um, news because they actually have better journalism than we do. So that's a form of mind control because literally you're controlling the masses by telling them what they need to believe as truth. Yeah, it's strange you say that because I do listen to foreign news. I turn to that because once in a while I got to see you know somebody from outside of this opinion. And right. it's very, very different. It's strangely different. You know, yeah. it's a, it's, it's really, uh, so I would advise anybody to switch around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Listen to yeah. what, them talk about <laughs> us for a while and see it from the, another point of view. And I just oh want to read gosh, something. That's that, so weird yeah. when you do that. <laughs> it's weird because they even look you, odd, different. It's Filming like, oh is my different. God, they really it's all think, different. yeah, they think that of us. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I do it. I do it a lot. And yeah, uh, okay, this, crazy. Uh, okay, I'll do this little paragraph here. It says, this particular tool Ooh. technique involves both positive and negative actions. Intermittent reinforcement. This is interesting. Is more devious and effective at creating 
such cognitive dissonances and victims that cannot help but surrender to control to their abuser. Because we've that's learned what. Yeah. That's the big one. This and you is know a, what's funny? Is is people, go ahead. And we do, yeah, we do that to each other in our interpersonal relationships. A lot of people will say, well, no, I think negative reinforcement is more abusive, but it's not. Negative reinforcement is consistent. So the victim expects consistent behavior that they then have to figure out how to adapt to. Yes, absolutely, it's abuse, but it's even worse when intermittently in that negative abuse, you're nice to your victim. Because what happens is the victim starts to depend on those crumbs of niceness from you. And they will become your slave. It's called capture bonding, Stockholm Syndrome. Yes, yeah, you know, they, they literally, Stockholm. yeah, they the victim literally becomes immobilized, waiting so much abuse just to get to that one second of kindness that is intermittently offered to them. And that has been proven from way back to the MK Ultra days you know, probably even before, because this is a part of the development of psychology, that's been proven to be the most devastating form of abuse. And, you know, for a child who's abused or a, or a spouse, if you're nice to them part of the time, they hold on to that with every fiber of their being. And they will accept so much abuse, thinking, well, that person was nice to me. Maybe they will if I just behave, if I just do what they say, if I just take this beating, they'll be nice to me later. And it's just so awful and and so insidious, too. Yes, and that's why um, people actually end up getting married to their abuser if they're captive or Mm -hmm. siding with the, uh, the abuser. And I think this also falls in with child abuse that the child, you know, to protect himself, actually starts identifying with the abuser and turns into the abuser just for power's oh, sake. Yeah, you know, absolutely. so that's that's the mechanism of that. I I never really understood what was up until I read a poem one time, and it was a it was a very strange poem. Okay, and uh, I hope I have, still have that book of poetry somewhere because it was very deep. And that's what this guy was talking about, why he killed people. Is uh, It makes sense that uh, he was actually identifying with the abuser. Yeah. And now he's an abuser. It's and not gone. everybody does that, but once in a while, you know, maybe that's why, you know, I was just thinking about this today, you know, where we're so worried about the immigrants and, and uh, coming over and inflicting crazy people on us and stuff. We're breeding serial killers. Like crazy exactly. over here. You know, so I don't know what you're worried about the immigrants for. <laughs> you know, know, because we're breeding <laughs> serial killers. And what yep. is with that? So What's your past. opinion on that? Yeah, well, we are. I think this country is overridden with sociopaths and psychopaths and narcissistic personality disorder. And I think you see it in politics and in religious leaders more so than anywhere else in owners of large corporations that think that they're gods and they expect you to treat them as deities. And we now, and I, I think social networking may have some something to do with this, we are now just immersed in these disorders because 
people are jockeying for power. Everyone has to have power over somebody yeah. or, or a large group of people or, you know, they want power over the whole country or what have you, the whole world. And we're so, we're, and then, okay, so I'll give you a really good example. Someone with all of the characteristics of narcissistic personality disorder in the most dangerous way is Donald Trump. Now, whether you like his politics or not has nothing to do with that because a lot of politicians are narcissistic. And I'm not talking about conceited. That has nothing to do with narcissism. No. I am talking about a very set group of characteristics that anybody can look up in Google that are very damaging and very dangerous and and are the hallmark of cult leaders. One of the things that they do is they have a lot of charisma and they use a lot of charm to... And down-homeness. Down home, yeah. I'm just one of you. Right. Or I'm speaking my mind and, you know, and and I'm on your level. Whatever it takes. He's a, Donald Trump is a master at it. They exaggerate their um, successes. It, it just, there is a whole set of characteristics. And I guarantee anybody, if they go read that, that list, and it's a very well-defined list, um, yes, it is. You will be able to identify a narcissist a mile away. They're dangerous people. Here's why they're dangerous. They don't care about anyone else but themselves. But they will right. say and do whatever it takes to make people think they do so that they can get into the positions of power that they need. Hitler, you know, uh Mussolini. I mean, I think they were also narcissists. And we're not talking about just a power-hungry person. We're talking about somebody who is very sick and who uses people. And and yeah. we know these people in our personal lives. And again, it doesn't matter what your politics are. You can find somebody like this. Not every politician is. Some of them are just idiots or buttheads. Um, but you can, when you know the characteristics, you can see what's going on and you can see the danger because these people attract huge audiences. They mesmerize. They're, they're charismatic. And it's just the same way with cult leaders. They know how to draw people in. But once they do, they are going to use those people for their their own purpose. They don't give a damn about the country or, you know, what's going on, the poor, the veterans, what have you. Obviously, women, they are using people as stepping stones to power. Um, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, I mean, a lot of these really big, amazing, innovative people, the people that knew them well said they were narcissists that they stepped on their own children. I'm not saying either one of them necessarily, but, you know, a lot of these really wealthy, powerful people uh, use their families. They just did whatever it took to be put in positions of power and control. And when you see that, you see a lot of the same tactics that are used, again, in, uh, you know, in in MKUltra ways to control large groups of people by using rhetoric, charisma, identification, you know, 
yeah, don't you hate those Muslims? Come join our group. Or don't exactly. you hate blacks? All right, you're one of us. Still, or you know? the immigrant situation when you're married yeah. to an immigrant and then you still put down the right. immigrant. I just don't get it and I don't agree. And you that's know, and you where the cognitive uh, dis- yeah. You reference Jim Jones and uh uh, and his followers in, in your book, A Mind right. of Yours. And uh, I just found that uh, so true to what, of the topic that we're talking about. You know, at first, he was actually feeding people. And he was, you know, down was. home church. Yeah. And he was taking he, people he, in that were yeah. unfortunate and all this. And then pretty soon they had their own village. And pretty soon, you know, the horrible story, you know. And if you're too young to have heard about it, because this did happen in the 70s, and some people right. are, can forget about it. Many people died. I think uh, over nine hundred. Well, you, you said yeah, nine hundred committed suicide, and they yeah. also killed their little kids. And I guess they also killed most of his kids. Yep. I think one of his kids got away. But um, it's just that everybody followed that. The news followed it. But even to that last day, when the the uh, guy showed up to inspect the place, and they were all on his side. You know, right. until he freaked right. out. And then that's how they killed everybody. You know, they killed the guys on the plane and they came back and started uh, taking the Kool-Aid. And that's what that's what we have now in our culture. We say, are you drinking that Kool-Aid? It's a, it's a, it's yeah. a, and we know, that's yeah. what we're referring and we to. Do Jim Jones, we know, people don't even know it. You know, the, right. are you taking oh, that don't. Kool-Aid? No. That's what we're talking yeah, about. They don't know the that Jim they Jones are. Massacre. Yeah. And, and the same thing, you know, Charles Manson started out just being a, a kind of hippie musician that took a lot of drugs. He wasn't so until a little bit later when he had a following, and then that that element came into play. I mean, granted, yeah. these people are incredibly psychopathic, but that doesn't show itself until later. And, like, you know, we have no. celebrities, and I look at Kanye. I think he is the biggest narcissist. In, in the celebrity world, someone so who literally stupid. equates himself with God. And I think that if you, again, go read up a little bit on narcissistic personality disorder, then look at some of these people and you will see. It's like a big red flag. And and then you see how many people follow them and, and worship them and give them their money and give them power and control. That is a terrifying thing. We have total well, cognitive dissonance. We do the not is he know has his own, what we're doing. Yes. He has his own art, okay? So he has his own followers, but why step on somebody else? You know, why exactly. interrupt their, their happiness? Because you can't have because, a, yeah. let them be happy, you know, and let them, exactly. but, you know, he feels complex. like he knows yeah. better. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so that's where you can tell. I mean, people talk about, you know, some of these young Justin Bieber kind, but, He's just a dork. I mean, he's just a kid. <laughs> Not too many but people I, are over 14 are going to fall in Justin Bieber. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But you when know. you look at some of the behavior of, of athletes, you know, that think that they are gods and they can get away with with murder. Yeah, I mean, literally, exactly. there are some athletes that have, have, well, let's look at OJ. I mean, there's another narcissist for you. But, you know, we're not yeah. trying to pick on specific people so much as trying to warn the public to be careful who you worship, who you give your power right. to, who well, you're put on a pedestal. Yeah, <laughs> there are current uh, examples. And, you know, it's, it's changed us so much 
that now the Kool-Aid is talked about every day, all day. You know what I mean? Yeah. People don't even know what they're saying. They don't know where it's from, but it's actually Jim Jones massacre, you know, that you're buying yeah, into exactly. whatever the plot is or whatever, but now it's part of our culture, you know, and that's yeah, how it much it affected us. I mean, we're not I'm having forgotten about that, it yet. I mean, you know? remember, it's scary, but that's what yeah. we use, you know, and people use it every day. I hear it every day. You know, I don't bring up what it's really about, but you know, cause it's like, I don't know, whatever, you know. But anyway, this is important, you know, important stuff, really. That, uh, yeah, it is. And I know, you know, we've kind of deviated from talking about the paranormal, but, you know, this, this, this is, is, some this is evil, our lives what I that think. we're dealing with. And I think, you know, when it comes to the media and what we're told is going on in the world, you know, uh, it's so much of, I mean, even the scientific research that we're hearing about it has been altered and spun for a certain agenda and if you almost have to get to the point where you take a step back and you have to detach and you know watch what you're going to watch but you have to detach and go with your own intuition your own gut as to what is true and what's not we can't really trust our perceptions that are based on the world outside of us anymore because there's too many people trying to get something from us. And it becomes all the more important to try to figure out how to develop your own ability to, you know, your intuition, your gut instinct, your ability to discern truth. And it's, it's frightening how many people just don't see the need to do that. They just immediately will buy into whatever they're told. Because it's easy. You know, it's easy yes. to not think for yourself. That's you know, really, if you get lazy enough, you would turn over your power to somebody. But that's why yeah. I said it's just a matter of literally being, have healthy boundaries, stand on your own two feet and uh, make it work for you, yourself, but still interact with others. But, uh, you know, you just, it's really about developing trust. You have that instinct of when somebody's starting to work you. You yeah, know, and, yeah. and it should be an alarm bell pulling coming out, you know. So if you don't have that alarm bell and just trust everybody, that's how people end up in the cults that we're talking about. Nice yeah, people, exactly. too. Smart people. Smart people. Yeah. Engineers. Yeah. No, people that join cults are some of the smartest people. Engineers, doctors. I am so glad you, know you said that. Yeah, because that's it's such true. a myth that the people that join cults are stupid and weak. They're not. No, they're it's not. The exact opposite. They're very intelligent, but they have empathy. And cult leaders and narcissists, sociopaths, psychopaths, they have radar that zooms in on the empathic, sympathetic, sensitive people. And, you know, they're some of the most intelligent people on the planet. If you have a huge empathic ability or a heart, they can find you. (laughs) <laughs> Especially if you feel mm-hmm. kind of like a loner, you know, you're you're you don't necessarily associate with a particular group of people. You're kind of a lone wolf, and so that yeah, it's like they know exactly who to target. And people have to really become aware of, you know, the the people that they support politically. We don't always have the choice of the best, but don't support the narcissist. Please. No. <laughs> because they are, when they step into their element, it's usually after they've charmed everybody into giving them power. 
just like Jim Jones. Once they get that power, you're not going to get anything. You're done. You don't even exist. It's all about them. And some of the, you know, most dangerous people that have ever walked the earth are perfect examples of that. But I I don't understand. And I don't know how much the Internet and social networking has become a problem. I would think that it's easier to get information out there, but it also seems like it's making people more isolated, self-centered, you know, racist, sexist, homophobic, you name it. And it's like, wouldn't it have had the opposite effect by making us all reach out and get to know each other? It's very strange. Very strange. Definitely. Uh, it's very strange, and uh, but we're going to be given the tools to deal with it. You know what I mean? I think being uh, fit in your mind and your spirit will actually give you the strength to go through anything. Because, uh, you know, we've had many right. disasters. I know very what? many tough, really sharp people. And they've been through the depression, they've been through world wars, and they've been through the current wars or whatever. They're really sharp, you know what I mean? And uh, I've seen some of the some good things on uh, Facebook and other things that one was of this man that was a test, you know. And this is what I love is is like tests with crowds, like what the, what are they all going to do, you know? And this one guy right. would not serve this Muslim guy. And it was like in a coffee shop, sort of like a Starbucks situation. So they right. went, the guy said, I'm not going to serve you. I don't believe in what you stand for and blah, 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 blah. You know, a U.S. soldier it just was just, they were just filming it to see the crowd's reaction. A U.S. soldier forward, and he was in his uniform. He was just taking a break from the base. He stepped forward. He said, this is what I'm fighting for. It's freedom. And he yeah. paid for the guy's coffee. And he said, this is what I'm doing. This is what the war is about. It's for everybody to be free to worship whatever the way they want to. And it's none of your business. He recognized that. Yeah. He saw it and he defended it. He says, I'm defending your freedom. So unless it's unconditional freedom, it's not freedom. And that's what he was was a young man. Yeah, he was a young man saying that. And I have to commend him and keep him in my prayers because this guy, a young guy to step forward with that kind of maturity. You know, and I think yeah. that calls for clarity of mind and maturity, you know, and you've got to step forward and, and correct what you can, you know, correct everything. Yeah, he put himself you know, on the line, too, you know. He really did. Yeah, He said that's, that's why he's cool. over there. You know, you know yeah. he was over there and came back, so he knows what's going on, but it doesn't mean you you can be prejudiced and not serve somebody because we don't want that kind yeah. of world. You know, exactly. so whatever your problem or issue is, or you're part of the, is, part of the solution. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's why I do what I do. Is uh, yeah. I counsel federal prisoners, so that's why I'm. That's why I'm in the mix. Oh wow! Oh, yeah, I'm in the cool. mix because I'm in the mix because you know, if I'm not adding to and helping, you know, where where is my spot? You know, so I found my spot, and you know, it's it's I'm doing the best I can. You know, but we do have to point out things to each other. We point out each other's errors. We say this and that, you know. But right. um, but something like that soldier that would stick up for all of our differences. And that's what we're really fighting for. We're not we're fighting for a bigger wall. Like, what, what exactly. happened? What about the, the wall that was separating the north and south, the Iron Curtain? What about all that? People don't yeah, learn anything. Exactly. They want another wall. Right. The idea. Why isn't anybody reacting down. to that? Yeah. 
We won't. No, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know what's going to happen, yeah. but, you know, we take the wall down yeah. north and south Germany, and then we're putting another one up all Mexico. Yeah. Because people crazy. tell me all it's, their opinions all the fear. time. Yeah, it's, it's fear. fear. It is. It's, it's all fear. based on fear. You're afraid what of is it? someone fear, because fear of the brown skin. or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I said, okay, let's say Los Angeles, San Diego, Los Angeles. All of it is Spanish name. You know what I mean? So what are we talking about? Right. Anyway, that's enough of that soapbox. So we have a <laughs> we only have <laughs> we solved we the problems a, of the world. <laughs> yes, we have solved it. Yay. Okay, we only have like <laughs> ten minutes to go. And uh what I would like to ask you is um uh do you have um yes. Somebody, uh, one of our persons, our lovely persons in our chat is saying, we have to have unconditional love and respect for each other and keep each other accountable. You know what I mean? That is so hard. It's hard, but but we do have to do it. And uh, anyway, we have like 10. Yes, we have have like 10 minutes left. So what would you like to uh, address in this last 10 minutes? I want everybody to go, go to Amazon. As well as seen all her books, and your website is uh, tell them what your website is. It's mariedjones.com. Real easy. Real easy. I just think you know. uh, For the longest time, the paranormal community has hated the science community, and the science community didn't want to have anything to do with the paranormal community. And the funny thing is, this is it's all a part of one encompassing truth or, or, you know, the entirety of reality. So we should be working together. But the the cool thing that I've seen, especially with, like, quantum and theoretical physicists, is that a lot of them, they may not be able to talk about paranormal stuff in the course of their days as academics or professors, but they're writing a lot of really interesting books, like Michio Kaku and... Uh, Fred Allen Wolf and Anna Gaswani, and I'm sure I'm leaving out a whole bunch, but they're writing really mm-hmm. cool books that are open to the possibilities of the concept and the laws and, you know, the theories that they, that are part of their world, possibly someday explaining the paranormal. And I think that that is such a huge breakthrough. I don't think we would have seen that. 15, 20 years ago, certainly. Um, and so the ability to write a book allows a scientist to say all the stuff that he maybe can't say in the course of his, uh, you know, his or her academic career. So that's been really good. Yeah. Um, and just, and, you know, uh, to keep an open mind. It, it, a ghost may not necessarily be the kind of ghost that we have been led to believe. There may be 10, 15 different kinds, you know? Yes. And you did write a lovely book, and let's close with it, you, about uh, uh, the spirituality. You did. You do have a couple books on that. And one is... I think it's uh, part of it, yeah. Yes. Positive. It's, it's, I can't remember the title of the book, but it's about praying and spirituality, and uh, I, I think well, that it's, uh, just, Yeah, spirituality, yes. I think it's all that hidden world, that hidden reality that we, some people tend to ignore or put down because it's not physical and obvious, and yet 
to those who have experienced it, it is just as real and just as profound. And to me, I just feel like they all, it's like a big long yardstick and they're all different points on that same yardstick. And so I think for, you know, if you really want to try to get a better understanding of the paranormal, read up on some spiritual stuff or metaphysical stuff and some science stuff and vice versa because it's all connected somehow. And you get little clues, you know, in every different field that you read about and learn about. Yes. Do you have any project you're working on now or are you giving any talks where people can go see you or... Um, the next place I'll be, yeah, I, I'm going to be speaking at a Paracon in February in Arizona. The details haven't been out yet, but it'll be on my website and my Facebook page. And then, uh, in either March or May, I'm in San Francisco, I think, for a conspiracy con to talk about mind wars. And beyond that, I think Portland, but beyond that, I'm not sure. But Larry and I have a book that we're working on right now called IDE, Interdimensional Entities, where we really take a good look at some of these more creepy cases of ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and critters and creatures that may not be coming from our reality and how they differ from the the normal paranormal stuff that we deal with, if you can call it normal. And then I think following that, (laughs) excuse me, we'll be doing a book called Disclosure, which is about UFO disclosure. Yes, and we're all looking for, forward yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah so. people have been waiting for that for a long time. Because yeah. <laughs> we know, everybody we know is working <laughs> on that. Some people in the field that are both our friends, working yeah. hard, and people can't just give right. up. And, you know, yeah. we have, uh, sometimes we get a big blow and a big setback, and it seems that many people are passing away young and old. You know, and it doesn't seem to matter, and people are kind of nervous about that, and, you know, some misinformation was sent out there. But, you know, it's always two steps forward and one step back. So I'll get mad for a minute, then I get over it and shake it off and just start again. Yeah, yeah. Because we do want disclosure. You know, we all want that, but sometimes people disclose a big old lie. (laughs) I've got disclosure for you, lady. Yeah, and I think that, you know, whoever is behind the disclosure probably knows that they have to be careful because, yes. again, we you know, not, not every human being is intelligent enough and emotionally equipped enough to deal with something of that magnitude, even though I think we already all know, <laughs> you know, but yes. to have it be officially announced probably would freak out a lot of people. It would, but... I don't know. We need it. It's just like I feel like we're 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 uh, traveling through the bog. You know what I yeah. mean? Because a lot yeah. of us that have been doing this so long, we're trying to, you know, it gets tiring. You know it's that uh, like, people are still on, fighting reality. Like, oh my god! <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just so bo- yeah. tedious to hear it. But then again, then somebody will throw a wrench in the works and totally lie, and then that blows everything up. You know, exactly. There's a couple you don't incidents. Even know. That, yeah. Yeah. A couple of the latest incidences really chapped my hide. Two of them, but I'm not going to oh, say yeah. them here. But you probably know. So those two I will, incidences chapped slide. my hide. <laughs> I just want to say it. Uh, and you people know who you are. 
Yes. Liar, liar, pants on fire. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I want to thank you so much. You, you know, you're an amazing woman, oh, uh, prolific writer, great person. You know, I've heard so much about oh, you. Thank you. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show tonight and being live and, and sharing your, uh, all your thoughts and, uh, ideas with us and all your books. Uh, you're just an incredible person and, uh, oh, looking you forward for to hearing more there. from you. Oh, yeah, we had a great thank conversation. So it went by quick. <laughs> yes, it does. And it's just a whole two hours, but it goes by really fast. And uh, yeah. I want to thank you. So you go to the David. Yeah, I was trying to think of the right acronym for that, but it's D like David I know. Jones. And you have a great, a very informative website, and I found all tons of stuff on Amazon. So just go over there, and uh, you can find all her stuff. And I want to thank you once again for being with us on the Paranormal and the Sacred. Thank you so Come much. back anytime. You want to talk about your new book? I would love, You'd love to, to hear more stuff because you got so much stuff. I can't hardly wait to talk about it all. Next book, I'll come back. <laughs> okay, please. Okay, you take all care right. and good night. Thank you. Okay. Good night. Okay. Good night. So that was Marie D. Jones, and I can't tell you how much I enjoyed speaking with her. And uh, just intelligent, uh, kind, and uh, working on these things that are intense topics that a lot of us are very, very interested in. And I appreciate her work so much. And she's knuckling down to actually putting it on paper, which most of us should be doing. You know who you are out there, because there's a lot of us that aren't writing it down when we should be, including myself. So. We have so much content, and we've got to get that stuff on paper. So there's one person that's doing that, and uh, it's it's really a, a wonderful to get to know her. So I want to thank you all for being uh, on the Paranormal and the Sacred tonight. And um, I, I saw all the late callers, but it's just too late. I have to say goodbye to our, our people on here. And I want to thank everybody in chat. You're just wonderful, good friends, and faithful and loyal, and I, I really appreciate you. And thank you. To my faithful listeners, I appreciate you. I'm here every week, every Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm still here. October the 30th, well, Halloween is the actual night of our third year anniversary. Can you believe it? So three years. So please follow the link to contact me. And we've got Ed and Marsha Becker are going to be here for our Halloween show. So our third anniversary. So that's going to be awesome. And we're going to do some free book giveaways me and leave a message you would like to be part of our show or for general help and assistance. I want to thank everybody once again and the paranormal the sacred is a place where unheard may be heard. Please recommend us to your friends and God bless everybody and may true love live in your heart and really work on being your real self. Love y'all. Take care. Bye-bye.